Welcome to the Across the Spoilerverse podcast. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I did. I'm thankful once more to be holding hands across the internet with my boy Greg from Real Rejects. Always nice to see you, Greg. How the hell? How's it going? How's it going? It's going well, man. I'm happy to be back. We had one week apart. I felt empty, vacant in mm. the soul, but I'm happy to be reunited with you, my friend. I bet you felt like MT was going to replace you. You see <laughs> what I'm was- saying? I was I was worried that I was like maybe they are going to do a podcast this week and it's just going to be MT on the pod. One day we should get all yeah. three of us. It'll be chaotic. It'll be really fun. I'll just yeah. be quiet. Well, I'm paying them, so I might as well get money out of them. <laughs> yeah, and be like, true. yeah, you come come on the pod. But yeah, I hope fun. you guys uh, didn't mind missing us. I'm, I, th- I think um, if you had a if we had have done the episode last week, I can pretty much see us just saying why the Marvels did badly again. <laughs> and then talking about why the Hunger Games did badly. But it has had a redemptive arc, and it's actually done really, really well on the second weekend, which we'll talk yeah. about in just a bit. Um, firstly, we're going to get into the box office. So going back to last week, the Marvels completely, completely crashed and burned, um, and it has beat Morbius as the biggest second weekend drop of all time for a comic book movie in the US Ooh. box office. Couldn't believe it. I never in my wildest dreams, Greg, did I think that an MCU film would hold the lowest second weekend box office. But uh, yeah, they've managed to do it. So 77.9% drop from the opening weekend um, with a 65 million US cumulative thing. And uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to make anywhere near close to its money back. They're saying optimistically it's going to do between 200 to 300 million at the box office. Personally, I don't know. Um, and a couple of months ago, I, I actually messaged Brandon Davis and I said, Brandon, I remember a couple of months ago, you said that the Marvels would probably do about $500 million and you got so much crap for it, because, especially because the first one made a billion. And uh, he just replied saying something along the lines of a Thanos meme with um, you're not the only one cursed with knowledge. So yeah, it's it kind of sucks because I I don't like seeing the MCU do badly. I've just rewatched the Loki finale again, and just seeing the quality they can deliver, and then seeing this, you know, what the hell is going on, Greg? I think it really is evidence of a damaged brand, though. I look, I was looking it up yesterday because I just wanted to know what the because there was two movies that that I know for sure in the MCU debuted to bad reviews and mixed audience reception and that was eternals and quantumania quantumania still did had a phenomenal even though it underperformed overall because the word of mouth was not great on it it still had a phenomenal opening weekend eternals which had a real mixed bag you know and not a great uh critical score either that at least debuted to 70 million dollars opening weekend and, and domestically right Whereas the Marvels, it just passed $70 million <laughs> domestically, you know, and normally, especially for a Marvel film with Thanksgiving weekend, when a lot of times, you know, the box office on Thanksgiving weekend can sometimes be quite generative for for any movie because families are out and this is and I imagine that's why they want to release this in November so you can get kind of that family box office draw and to see that it is. is it hasn't even reached like a hundred million dollars. Not even the top five of the Thanksgiving opening weekend. It's a real clear indicator that there is all the, we had a whole big podcast about it, breaking it down in depth 
of the variety of reasons. We try to keep that conversation as nuanced as possible. But to me, this is a real testament to it. You know, like there's a lot of blame going around for why it did bad. Like, you know, people who really like the movie are uh, blaming YouTubers or critics or whatever. And I'm like, well, Quantumania and uh, and uh, Eternals had this had a similar thing. And granted, like this is the first one where it is like all female led. Same time, I don't know. I feel like I, I really do think that the word of mouth on it isn't as strong as people would probably hope, even for those that like the movie, because the cinema score is still pretty low or average. I don't know about low is the right word. I think it was kind of an average cinema score. It's sad. It is disheartening. And yeah, I do miss the times when Marvel was impenetrable. We were rolling in money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But obviously, we've had other bombs this year. Yeah, Disney itself's having a really hard time at the moment. So there's just been a report dropped in the last hour as of recording this from Variety that has said, not a single Disney film has grossed $1 billion this year. It's the first time since 2014, not including the pandemic years of 2020 and 2021, that Disney hasn't had a billion dollar release. Uh, During 2019, the studio had hit seven one billion dollar releases so it kind of shows you and i know you're talking about a damaged brand before i personally think disney as a brand are very damaged at the moment and i think they've just annoyed so many people they've set themselves up to at the point now where people just want to see them torn down and they want to see this big corporation that rules over everything completely ripped apart for examples we we've seen with the strikes and stuff um how bob Iger was going on with that you know, Disney don't really have a creative bone in their body at the moment either. They're, they're kind of just all sequels and remakes. They get a property, milk it dry, push it out on Disney Plus. You know, just get so much content out there that it, it all becomes watered down. It all becomes um, kind of repetitive and it doesn't really feel like they push mm. the boundaries. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a D23 and I was sitting with my mates. We were watching it play out. Um, and there was, and I said to them at the start, I bet there isn't one single property announced here that's an original IP that they've come up with. The closest one they came up with was Sneakerella, which was based on Cinderella. And even that's that's not really an original IP. We'll, we'll, we might let you get away with it with Sneakerella, but it just I just don't feel like the creative. I don't feel like the studio is really taking any risks. They're not doing anything creative. They're just doing live action remakes, telling stories we've already heard before. You know the. Marvel's about getting close to like 50 projects deep mm-hmm. at the moment. In a couple of years' time, we'll hit that milestone, and there's nothing that really feels like it's invigorating or special. Um, and Wish was banking a lot on nostalgia. That's They basically pushed the Easter eggs in the film over the story when promoting it. That's done terribly as well. Um, yeah, so Disney's um, Wish has opened in third place with $31.7 million over the mm. Thanksgiving weekend, which is really, really low. Um, Hunger Games beat it. They had a really good second weekend. Um, they've they've actually, you know, they, they didn't have as good of a first weekend, but they've uh, over the weekend, they've crossed $200 million globally after grossing mm. $26.2 on the second weekend overseas. Nice. And it had 98.4 cumulative in the US for that one. Um, so it's only got a $100 million price tag, according to the reports. I look at the trailer and think it might have cost more than that. They might be downplaying the budget, but from what they put out there officially, the movie's doing quite well, and it does look like it's going to be 
another Hunger Games that people are hungering for. But it oh, sounds yeah. like it might be Rachel Zegler's fault that it's doing well. And we hate Rachel Zegler. Now we're angry that she's doing so well. We're going to put red eyes on her and say, flop and burn. Oh, God, I hate her so much. Um, but yeah, Greg, what are your thoughts on the way that things are going with Disney? I, I think they waded too far into politics, but I know there's probably a lot of other factors. And being someone in America, you probably have a bit more, bit more of a nuanced and rational perspective nope. than I do. <laughs> Definitely don't. I think in the U.S. we're even more black and white about it. Yeah, I think Dis. I I really feel like a lot of it just comes back to Disney Plus in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, we can go into all the details about the um, the politics and everything, and how that has really created a divide because the you want to be a little bit more all encompassing and they've kind of made political stances very clear. And it's, this is coming from a guy who identifies uh, out here in the States as liberal. And I could still see, I could still sit here and go, yeah, they really do. They really do often push stuff though. <laughs> it is kind of in your face. Yeah. <laughs> so what do identifies as liberal? Like I, I see what the problem is, though, and I see what people are are usually talking about. Sometimes it goes to go a little far reaching um, in terms of what people are hating on. I don't feel like the word woke should be applied to anything with a female or a person of color in it. Uh, however, they do they do seem to really um, progressive pander, I would say. You know, it's a lot of times it doesn't seem genuine the way how any brand normally does. They're like, oh, we can really hone in and milk this property if we if we seem like our one percenter business that thrives <laughs> off of the lower yeah. class. We if we can look like we're for the people, well, we know they're not. And I also think, too, with Disney Plus, they the, the studios really did not know how to handle any of this shit that happened. I'm surprised. Like, Warner Brothers is such an up-and-down experience. Sometimes they have, like, phenomenal hits. But if they had, like, a, a streaming service that was just... Like, we know that Warner Brothers usually goes to, like, HBO, right? Or H or hmm. Mac, whatever the hell it's called, at least out here. Right? And and yeah. uh, if there was, like, a WB streaming service, if it was just called Warner Brothers streaming service, I imagine that they would have even more flops because people would probably just wait for it and i think just having the disney ip have its own streaming service has made people even for myself like for wish which i you know seeing it has an a minus cinema score it could be a situation kind of like elemental which really did not do well initially and then had legs over time and managed to do actually like it, it didn't do old Pixar numbers, but it did better than people expected after its opening weekend. Maybe Wish will have a similar progression. But even for someone like myself, I, I'm usually just here going, ah, I'll just wait for it to come out on Disney Plus, as a lot of people are. And I think they have really programmed people to sort of view things in that lens, as Disney especially. Because I, I think a lot of people will still yeah. understand. I feel like Marvels will be a similar thing. You know, the the MCU, they had so many of their properties when they weren't releasing stuff in the movie theaters. They were releasing all these shows and then the, you were, they were getting you to think like programming audiences to, to where as opposed to a movie will come out one weekend, you would have to catch it in the theaters. You had to catch the new MCU episode, the new MCU thing 
once a week for several weeks on Disney Plus. So I feel like naturally people are sort of drawn to that. People will sometimes defend Disney with going, well, Avatar The Way of Water was a huge hit, but we all know there's a different exception to that. A, there's James Cameron. B, it was a Fox movie that was already being done and created before Disney bought Fox. So that's not really a, it's like technically a Disney film, but it's not one of those movies where Disney decided to green light it and produce it themselves. You know, like there's a, there's, there's a much different association with that. So while that is a hit technically for Disney, it's still not exactly the same thing as when you go watch a movie where it's so much more Disney associated. Like I don't even really consider Avatar a, a Disney property, you know, even though it technically is. And so, yeah, I think that, I think Disney's really, it's, it's kind of crazy um, because it, Disney's down all around, even, even with like their theme parks and all that. They, the, the, how they handled post pandemic has been the, an extremely rough experience for them. They just really panicked. And I, I think it's really shot them in the foot a lot. Yeah, and Forbes actually put out a, a, an article earlier in the year that we talked about where they said the cost of streaming was about $4.6 on the industry. I actually think it's done a lot more damage than that and Probably. that the damage it's done can't be calculated because it's completely wiped out the physical media market. I still buy Blu-rays. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but I know most people will just happily wait for that to drop on streaming. And they've even done stuff where I'm thinking, why am I actually buying these Blu-rays? Um, for example... All the Marvel stuff on um, Disney Plus, it's IMAX enhanced. So you get the IMAX ratio on that, and it's got Dolby Vision as well. Whereas when you pick up a 4K of it physically, um, it doesn't have the IMAX scenes. It's all letterboxed, and it also just has HDR10, which is, we're getting into specifics here, but Dolby Vision is generally seen as being the better format for it and the better technology. Um, And I'm kind of thinking, like, I'm paying about £25 for these Blu-rays. But I've already got I've already got a cost included version of it online. I'm just a bit of a bit of a snob when it comes to um, streaming, Greg. But it's completely wiped out the physical media market. They're actively pushing people towards Disney Plus. You're also getting them the sh- the movies and shows streaming on Disney Plus long before they go to physical media. And pe- they've basically taught their audience how to behave and expect their movies to be released. And if I'm telling you like oh, make sure you give us loads of money to see this film, but it comes out in, for free in three weeks' time on a cost you already pay. What are you going to do if you're not that interested in it? You're just going to wait. And they've basically completely crippled themselves. That $4.6 billion valuation, I think it, it's way more costly than that. They're no longer selling to third-party cable companies. For example, when you know back in the day, if you had a, a movie, you could sell it off to a television station or you know, sell it to another yeah. streaming service like Netflix, but they're putting it all on Disney Plus and it's just this big thing that's just a sinkhole of money where they're just losing money for the fact they've invested so much into this. And I think streaming was incorrectly valued because Netflix, when it got such high evaluations, it was because it was viewed as being a tech company and not as a streaming service. And I think, you know, Netflix's the Netflix's verticals and their business model it's nothing like Disney's sure they both have streaming services now but Netflix rarely put things in theaters you know they don't sell toys and merchandise they don't have a theme park whereas Disney has all these different verticals of where their business is run through yeah. and by just leaning so much into this streaming service 
they've, they've completely crippled all that and it's cost them so much. I don't think we'll ever know the true valuation of it, but yeah, it's clearly costing them a lot of money. Well, I think, I think what people often forget about Netflix versus what Disney Plus is doing, Disney Plus is still so intellectual property driven where Netflix, while they will have like a gazillion original shows that a lot of us will often forget about, when they were having hit television shows or hit original movies, but primarily hit original shows, it was for the the mold they were breaking, the groundbreaking aspects of it that wasn't uh, you know, solely dependent on having some pre-established IP that people were aware of, you know, things like Stranger Things or even taking on Squid Games. Things like that, that or, or Mike, Mike Flanagan shows like Haunting a Hill House and such. It was for the original ingenuity that they had there. And Disney Plus is mainly going Star Wars, Marvel, <laughs> Star Wars, Marvel, instead of uh, it relying so much on creativity. So I do agree with one of the, if we're looking at, I don't know what is the ultimate like pot of the slice of the pie chart of what is the biggest negative impact that has happened with Disney. I do think though, that, you know, that conversation that we often hear with, they need to be having uh, embracing creativity. Like you've, you've often, you often bring it back to like what Loki season two did. And I think that within this disarray of the MCU, it's sad to see how much Loki season two already, the conversation on that has already gone down because it's been overshadowed by a lackluster performance of the Marvels, but Loki season two was very creative and it did embrace a lot of these other aspects that you don't often see within the MCU. And it really hit home for a lot of people. Uh, you know, even if you liked it or not, there's no denying it that it really connected with a lot of people. A lot of people found it very original. And I think Disney just relies so much on IP instead of just telling good stories. And that's what made Netflix original because Netflix was cool for the streaming aspect of, oh, all these movies and shows that I already know are here. But when they started having original properties that were really taking off, it wasn't former IP driven. They were making new IPs. And these new IPs are like Stranger Things is one of the biggest shows of all time. And that was an original Netflix series. And Disney Plus has not done that they haven't done some original new IP, whereas Netflix has been able to actually succeed in doing that. Even Apple TV is not as huge as any of those shows, but they they have shows like Ted Lasso. Um, Sever is Severance the one on there? Which is the one that's on there that yeah, I don't know? Severance yeah, is really good, yeah. Yeah, they have like original shows that become a big part of the conversation. And Disney Plus does not has not succeeded in that. And I think if they really want their streaming service to take off, they need to not just do Marvel Star Wars. Remember that shit? You, you have to do something that is very different and creative. It is not just former yeah. driven. And and doing these shows as well and just making mid-TV shows, it's really destroying those big brands and IPs as well. They're just completely like killing all the... I was thinking today about Phase 4 and Phase 5. And I think that if they just, you know finished phase three with far from home and then come out with like no way home dr strange in the multiverse of madness one division loki season one and two um guardians of the galaxy i think if they just had those five releases everyone would be like whoa marvel's doing really really well but they, they kind of killed the hype with lots of mid uh mid tv shows which has obviously been affecting the box office and now we can see the complete lack of interest in this stuff 
Um, Disney is actually third place in terms of subscribers when it comes to streaming services. So it's Netflix, number one. Amazon is number two. They kind of have it built in, though, where it's like if you sign up to Prime, you get all this stuff free. But it's still a good business model, and they're clearly, you know, making money and giving people value for money because you get all the music included, you get next day delivery on Prime, you get their TV yeah. shows, and they've actually started taking a lot of risks um, with what they're doing. Reacher, I, I'd never seen season one until last week. Watched all that because I knew the next season was coming out. Did you Absolutely like it? loved it. Great, huh? Yeah, great really, show. really fun. enjoyed it. Really fun. Yeah, really enjoyed it, uh, and I can see that being a big show. I really can see. I see the potential there. You know, you've got your, your first season's really strong. Um, I haven't seen season two yet, but I have got access to it. But I'm going to check it out. Um, and I, I think by season three, you know, it's going to get such good word of mouth that there's going to be people on just completely on board with it. And they're also taking risks with things like The Boys, Invincible, and I think Amazon are really putting their, a, a nice thing. You know, they've had their failures like the Lord of the Rings and stuff and um, where they spent way too much money, but they're finding the ground still. And I, I think, you know, Amazon are at least doing what I would expect a streaming service to be doing and, and really, you know, putting money into new IPs and properties and yeah. actors and things that people can get involved in. Whereas Disney just seemed to be like, what have we got? Uh, it's Marvel. Yeah. Make a show. Do we need to read the scripts? Do we need to finish the scripts before we start shooting? Nah, no, no one will care. Just keep it rolling. Um, and yeah, there's actually been Taika Waititi's kind of came out and talked about Disney this week. This Obviously, guy. the guys, you know, been, yeah, he's just been talking <laughs> talking shit recently. Um, but he he spoke about the Thor movies and he said I had no interest in doing one of those films, but I was poor and I just had a second child, and I thought you know what, this would be a great opportunity to feed these children. And Thor, let's face it, it was probably the least popular franchise. I never read the Thor comics as a kid. That was the comic I'd pick up and be like, uh. and then I did some research on it. I was still baffled by this character. Like, ooh. Yeah, Taika Waititi's kind of just spent the last year digging his own grave and all the goodwill that he had for himself so everyone like everyone likes Thor Ragnarok I think we can all say like most people think that's a good movie I really like what we do in the shadows um Jojo and I like Jojo yeah Jojo Rabbit as well but since then man like the other week when he was talking he was saying like his Star Wars movie is gonna piss the fans off I'm just saying, like, mate, you don't understand Star Wars fans. You do, you do not tell them that. You just say we're making the exact the exact thing that you guys want. It's yeah. George Lucas's vision. Well, so yeah, kind of shot himself in the foot there. It's funny looking at Taika Waititi's uh, comments and his attitude because I I remember a time where when he was loved <laughs> and he was respected, he had the same exact kind of cadence. He had the same exact kind of attitude. After his success, after winning an Oscar, and then after having um, Love and Thunder come out, this is he talks exactly the same way. It just translates extremely different now. Before it was like, ah, Taika Waititi, he's, uh, he's ironic. Uh, you know, he's got a sardonic sense of humor. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really show the sincere side. Yet, now that he has the success... And then what he did with Love and Thunder, everything just sort of reads now as like smug and condescending. <laughs> it just doesn't have the same yeah. effect. And it's it's strange because if you go back to what he was like prior, you know, like around the time of Ragnarok, like this is the same 
kind of attitude he would yeah. have in interviews. But before you're like, ah, he's funny, he's cool. But now it seems like insensitive, and again, um, smug is the is the way I, I think would the it. the turning point was during that VFX reel for Love and Thunder when he was making fun of the VFX artists, and I could see I could just see the tide change then, and he just made a movie that people, you know, it was like a Phantom Menace situation for me, Greg, where I was kind of like. I think I and did I enjoy that? I don't, well, it was kind of, well, <laughs> and you know, came out and uh, yeah. I think once people started really thinking about that film, it just kind of shut it down. And yeah, just seeing him being disrespectful to his workers, you know, I think it just rubbed people the wrong way. And then to see how he's going on now about the properties, you you kind of start to think uh, if this guy wants to just come in and mess stuff up, is he the right person for the job? If he was doing a great job in reinventing the characters like he did with Ragnarok, I can totally see, you know, people giving him leeway. But I don't know. Love and Thunder is just a bit of a mess. And what it does to the characters, even from Ragnarok, it's kind of, yeah, kind of all over the place. And unfortunately, we are seeing a lot of this backlash in terms of comic book movie interest. The long range box office predictions for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom have came out. And Greg, it's not looking good. What? Coming in even lower than the Marvels, what? it's going to be, well, this, this is long range, so they've still got time to change things, but long range is $32 million to $42 million opening oh weekend, which would it would be insane because that would mean this year we've had two $2 billion comic book franchises, films, that have then had a sequel that have done completely terrible. And there were people, I pointed this out on Twitter, mm. and there were people who were like, well, technically, the Marvels isn't a sequel to Captain Marvel, but it it, it, but it is, mate. They're it calling is. it Captain Marvel Two in China. Yeah. yeah, they're calling it Captain Marvel Two in China. You know what I mean, mate? Yeah. And I know that's because stuff like the Marvels and One Division, they, they had something where they weren't allowed. They were banned over there for some reason because sure. China just didn't like Marvel for a couple of couple of years. <laughs> um, but and that might be why. But it's still called Captain Marvel Two. Technically, Captain America: Civil War is Captain America Part Three. You know, even even though yeah. it's not Captain America Three, it's technically Captain America Three. And this movie, a hundred percent, is still a Captain Marvel Two. Uh, when you watch the film, it is a hundred percent still a Captain Marvel Part Two. And this is really yeah. bad. You know, wasn't Jason Momoa just in an interview saying, um, "Like this is my last time I'm going to be playing Aquaman." It, it just yeah. makes you go. I, I don't know what the intent was there because I didn't actually watch the interview, but I saw the quote and I saw the way the quote was going around. And when you see that quote that just registers as as, as at the end of the day, most people are not going to hear that quote and go, well, let me watch the interview. Most yeah. people are going to hear that quote. And go, well, then why the fuck should I watch this movie? <laughs> you know, I already, I already lost it. Like the DCU is like, they already had Shazam for the God's Tank. They already had the Flash Tank. Everyone knows these movies are not going to matter um, by the time um, the Superman movie comes out. And this is just Jason Momoa going, yeah, this, is, this one doesn't really matter either. It's your choice if you want to watch it. That's just the way that that sentiment reads. It doesn't read like, like, a, a swan song for Aquaman, you know, it just, it just seems like yeah. it, it's done after this. 
Well, James Gunn famously came out at the start of the year and was like, don't bother seeing any of this shit, mate. <laughs> we're just, we're, 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 we are tying it in. We're tying it in. I'm contractually obligated to say that we're tying it in. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, don't don't worry about any of this shit. Um, so obviously there's been rumors going. I mean, there's so many factors going into this about why the movie's tracking for Solo. Um, mm-hmm. I think the trailers look all right. But obviously, you know, Amber Heard is one of, you know, whether you are on her side or not, there was that massive petition online where it had like 4 million signatures to remove her from the movie. Say say even, I don't know, 75% of them are bots. You've still got 1 million yeah. people. Is, that, is my maths right? You've still got 1 million people on that signing up to, to try and get her removed from the movie. So that's a big chunk of the audience. Whether they actually stick to their word and boycott it is another thing entirely, but you know, it drums up a lot of bad publicity for it. Um, it's also connected to this universe where, you know, the Flash hasn't done well, Shazam hasn't done well, Blue Beetle hasn't done well, and they've clearly been like, it's on life support, and they're about to pull the plug. Uh, like, right, yeah, right. we're just gonna have all the family come in to say their goodbyes, and then we're pulling the plug on the, the DCEU. So that's another reason. Um, it's also rumors that Jason Momoa is going to be Lobo. And James Wan, you know, he he got paraded about during the week and he actually released a statement. I'm not going to read out the whole thing, um, but he was basically saying about all the love and care that he put into this film. Didn't mention Amber Heard at all. um, Talked about how it was a story about Arthur being a father, skirted around looking after his family, um, but said it was very much a brother's tale. The latest trailer doesn't contain Amber Heard. I think they are trying to downplay that. I don't think it'll have a massive difference you know, on the box office, if they don't mention her at all, I think people have already made up their minds and that they're not going to see this either way. Um, And it's just a disaster, really. It's got me thinking, I I think this and the Marvels has kind of shown that there was a time when these studios could just crap out side characters. But I think at the moment that the movie's just, if if it's got a C or a D list character, people just aren't interested in it if it's not part of a grander story and that's what marvel have really fumbled the ball with on phase four and five we don't feel like there's that real direction that they're heading in it all kind of seems like they're just randomly throwing out these projects that aren't necessarily connected and it it is affecting people's interest in this story you know they're not they've said kang's going to be the big bad but whenever you watch a project and see him getting killed off you're kind of like is he though? And then you hear the rumors about stuff and, you know, directors leaving projects, uh, Destin Daniel <laughs> Cretton's stepped away from Kang Dynasty, the writer's been fired. And yeah, I think I think just at the moment when you know something is connected to a shared universe, it has that shared universe has to be special. Because otherwise you're just going to see a standalone movie, which maybe, you know, yeah. eight years ago, the these movies would have been groundbreaking and fresh. Greg, I can't get moved for superhero content. You know what I mean? I turn around, there's superhero content there. I look, uh, I've got a wall of comics. I can't, the TV's playing superhero crap all the time. Yeah. It needs to be special, Greg. And a lot of people have seen a lot of this stuff and really got to really gotta sell it as something new. Well, I, the thing, though, is oftentimes people will get upset at, well, we want more standalone films. And of course we do. We, we want standalone films that do feel special. You know, uh, the, the Spider-Verse movies... I don't watch them to see how they connect to Sony's Spider-Man films. It is exciting to see like the, the amount of Spider-Man that are in there and, and everything. Uh, but I, 
those are like its own thing still at the end of the day like those spider-verse films are pretty much their own thing uh, while they with the second one does step into the venom world for like a little bit it's more like just a fun moment than it is setting up the grander side of the sony spider-man universe or something like that right like i, I don't really get that impression and at the same time what one thing i've heard go around with marvels is it's like it's in a rush to there's two sides i've heard of it some people say like you don't need to see this movie other people have said it's only in a rush to get to the post credit scenes for the rest of the universe so i've heard two very contra- uh, contradicting sides one sounds like well i need to watch it be- to get to the post credit scene and the and the ending scene but and do you though part, greg because we already know the x-men are coming yeah we know no, the x-men no. are coming like i don't need another x-men post credit scene i know no. deadpool 3 yeah. is coming right i know that wolverine's in it right my, that's my, what my, i'm excited for my main point don't i'm getting to go at see it. the marvels to get it my, my main point i'm getting at is this this idea that when it comes to connected universes like yeah you need this the individual films to feel great but it's also not the audience's fault why they expect the connected universes it's not the audience's fault marvel vehemently trained us the all audiences to expect that and to be on the lookout for it and for that to be the thing to get excited about they they programmed that into audiences with the start of phase one that's what made the comic book um that's what made the comic book property skyrocket was the connectivity and while i am there i i do it is possible to have a gray opinion about this is to go yeah you want those individual films to still be great like iron man one is still a great film um but the connectivity side of it you do when, you, when people are often complaining like, well, you just wait to see where the multiverse saga goes. When a lot of people are sitting by with their arms folded going like, I don't really see where this is going. I don't really see what the connection really is. Uh, I, I want to I get a better sense of the direction. The reason why audiences really want that is because Marvel trained us for that. They, they trained not just the film geeks here, but just general audiences to expect that and to, and to, um, kind of hang on that wire <laughs> for things so in a lot of ways it is their fault why people get upset about the lack of connectivity or the connectivity not being very clear for people if that makes sense that's all i was trying to say yeah that's all I was trying yeah to say. and i think i'm gonna slag everyone off listening to this podcast greg but i think it's everyone true. in the world is lazy i think everyone in the world's lazy okay. and clip that out of context and just put it as everyone in the world's lazy well let me explain what i mean for the longer context listeners greg sure i think when you put out so much content people just think well i'm not catching up to it now i had my fill with endgame yeah. you know i'll 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 dip i'll dip in here and there and watch no way home but there's no way i'm watching seven different disney plus shows to get caught up to speed on this for something that really doesn't matter that much i think most people will be fine going into deadpool 3 not having seen any of these disney plus shows or having seen the captain you know the marvel's post credit scene there'll be people going into that thinking oh monica rambo i've never seen her before she must be a new character introduced (laughs) from the x-men universe or something um, so yeah, I really don't feel like, you know, I th- I feel I do feel there's too much homework and a lot of it's, you know, a churn to get through. It really is. You're just kind of like sitting there going, okay, 
like we we cover it weekly so it's not as bad because it's our job to do it but when you you haven't been keeping up to it week to week and you look at it like there's so many shows that are like suits i really want to get caught up on then i look at it and it's like well this is gonna take at least four weeks of my life it's gonna be a full-time job watching this and i think i'll just leave it i'll just leave it there and i think a lot of people are like that with the marvel Studios stuff at the moment where it's like uh, it's more of a job do i care about these characters you know then they're not the big names that they're launching at the moment you know spider-man of course is but lots of c and d listers that that they're you know they're not worth spending all this money on to go see and i think i think marvel is doing the right thing in the future which is that they're you know one release next year but even then i just see like agatha house of harkness i've heard very bad things about echo I, i was I did come around on the trailer and think maybe those things are wrong, but for the fact they're dropping it all in one day during January, um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. But uh, yeah, I haven't heard. I just haven't heard good things about it, and we'll, we'll see what happens next year. But I just think that Marvel really need to be careful at the moment. And to me, they actually feel like they're sort of in a similar position to what DC were at the start of the year, where they know they have a lot of stuff that's already been filmed it's already in the can they have to release it they know it's going to devalue the brand and it's just kind of a case of well get to it and uh hope that you know we we have enough good projects in between that people are interested yeah. and i think that's why next year it's going to be very very deadpool focused i think it's so um, smart it's, to do that oh god yeah, yeah. Th- you need the break they need to you need yeah. the break and releasing the marvels and Loki on the same day, that was so stupid. I and I, I talked about this on Twitter saying they didn't even give Loki half a day of good headlines to be like the MCU's back. And it was yeah. already back with the Marvels bombing on, you know, box office wise, the bad Rotten Tomatoes score. And people, I call them lazy. I'm also going to call them, they love a bit of drama as well. And they love a bit of, you know, things going badly. What was that Green Goblin quote, Greg? People love a hero. They love they love a hero loads, but what they love more than a hero is to see a hero fall. Mm. And that's kind of what stuff is with the MCU right now. We love watching it go up, but when it comes crashing down and all the drama channels, you know, all the people who wanted yeah. to see Disney fail for years, they just jumped on the Marvels doing badly. They're not making Loki videos. Um, They're not making Loki headlines. The, no. the articles are just all based around what the what how badly the marvels did when we could have had like some focus on loki for at least half a day they right. couldn't even give us that and yeah they just they just shut themselves in the foot so i think we're going into 2024 get get echo out the way you know the agatha trailer looks all right the echo trailer looks all right but we'll see how it goes but deadpool 3 that trailer is gonna break the internet i think and yeah just seeing hugh jackman the boy carried the entire X-Men franchise on his back. He's here to carry the MCU as well. Yeah. And I'm very excited to see my man in uh, in all his glory. But I really hope they don't do a Deadpool, though. What I really hope they don't do, I don't know what MCU doesn't do, is because they could really take advantage of the conversation with Deadpool 3. I feel like Deadpool 3 will probably has a good chance of being a billion-dollar hit. So there they get another billion-dollar hit. It has a good chance of being that. and And then if they... They, they just let the conversation ride that. And if it does open up all these possibilities for the MCU, the way how we've heard that it could potentially do, 
let the theory because a big part of of the conversation is the theories for what could happen that's what made wandavision such a such a huge show dr strange as well yeah exactly but let the people andrew garfield and and if they let people simmer in positivity really let them marinate in that positivity and on top of that too let them marinate in anticipation for the next project so i think not making sure they don't just go deadpool 3 was huge we're back let's start releasing a bunch of shit now <laughs> you know let's let's green light like six movies next year i really hope they learn their lesson and go hey maybe we shouldn't release so much stuff and i know that they've been saying that's the plan However, I do get a little concerned that if they have one great, huge, phenomenal film, that they will suddenly go, all right, well, we're back. Let's just start dumping shit all over again when they could really use Deadpool 3 to change the entire conversation around the MCU in every way. That's my hope. And just stop giving us Marvel all the time. Like We need to have that anticipation build, which we're not going to have. Um, but yeah, it, just in general, Greg, over Thanksgiving, I watched the Thanksgiving movie and I was like, I what is, is this what it's like in America? <laughs> but really enjoyed that. Um, but I also saw Barbie, Greg, text you Let's saying hear- uh, I was watching it. Enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. I must oh. say the Ben Shapiro influence didn't, didn't get to me and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was good. It's, it's a nice, victory. funny, fun film. Um. Yeah, me and my wife sat and watched that, and yeah, I had a good time with it. Did you your know, wife I'm like? Glad it? that. Yeah, my wife. Well, my wife seen it before. She she as soon as she seen that it was available because we went to Centre Parks with the kids, mm. and uh, yeah, it was available there. So I just thought, yep, yeah, time to bite the bullet and just watch it. And then was sitting there, smug face. I hate when they start saying stuff like women you can be what you want to be i'm like oh, number one thing that's a nice me in the world uh but yeah loved it cracked it just cracking smiles it was it was good yeah, yeah man, so if you, if you if you you were a raging sexist like i am um then definitely check it out and it might change your mind on equality and just seeing that all people are just people just me and you and it should be equality um, so I'll probably get cancelled for saying that we should have equality, but there's actually been a lot of cancellations going on this week. Um, God, I'm yeah. kind of glad that we weren't covering things last week because the Scream franchise, it's been getting killed out there, Greg. And obviously this is a very um, nuanced topic. I don't want to wade in with the jokes. Uh, and it, it's just it's so sad what's happening out in the world. And I think, uh, you know, just seeing just what's going on, I mean, it's devastating. It really, really is. Um, and Melissa Barrera is someone that, you know, talked about this. And, yeah, she, she got fired from Scream for, for putting out um, statements that they viewed as being anti-Semitic. Um, I will say I haven't seen everything that she said, but everything that I saw, she said, I, I didn't think it was, you know, it said she was downplaying genocide and stuff and, I, I, yeah, I, I personally didn't see it, and obviously online there was a hell of a lot of backlash over it. Um, she actually put out a statement herself saying that she she won't. Um, she basically said silence is not an option for her. Um, yeah. And I think Hollywood in general's, you know, that there's, there's so much 
like anger around the Scream franchise now. The next day, it was announced that General Ortega will not be returning to the role. Now, it is important to say that the reports have since clarified that it's because of scheduling conflicts with Wednesday sure. and that it was nothing to do with that. I kind of feel like that's PR spin, Greg. I'm putting my conspiracy theory hat on for a second. I'll tell you why. Because the script hasn't been written. Uh, there's not like it's not in production. So how and they have they fired the main actress. They've had to rewrite things from the ground up. So how can how can there be scheduling conflicts when there's not a schedule for that film? Yeah. Um, you would just say like, well, we'll wait until she finishes Wednesday, then we'll get the ball rolling. But either way, you know, she's now resigned. Um, probably Ghostface is going to be announced next. Um, but what was your take on the whole situation? Oh, uh, wow. Well, I mean, I did a live stream and it was like the predominant part of our live stream. Like it was a really, really, really long live stream. And then even caught her statement that was released at the end. So trying to condense down these thoughts into just a few minutes is going to be very interesting because I know this is a very sensitive subject. Yeah, all it around. is. I, th- I think, you know, I think the, the way we should do it, be respectful, is just kind of talk about the situation itself in hollywood rather than you know what, what's going on because this it is it's yeah it's just it's it's not something to be made light of or even bring you know we go down that route and yeah it's it's, it's devastating um and i think just you know we're a movie podcast and just trying to stick to the movie point of view stuff is I, it's probably the best way to go about it but i th- i think the easiest way to summarize it because naturally a, a little bit of the the, the actual political side of it will come in because because that's what led to her getting fired (laughs) what was that and when you really like try to boil down what she was talking about whether or not you actually full-heartedly agree whether or not you agree with her or not she her her intent that she was really asking for is peace that's what she was really asking for is peace and the part that rub me the wrong way because i saw what like susan sarandon said that got her to drop by caa and reading that I'm like oh yeah that's a little I, I see how that comes across a little that comes across pretty ugly and <laughs> then the in what she actually said and i'm there's yes there's more to the conversation and yada 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 but i can understand that one little that one sentence that was going around of what she said i'm like oh that does not sound good but when you look at what melissa barrera was saying she was uh, she at the end of the day that's what she was asking for you know and i think what's important to understand is that she has made it clear herself that like criticizing government for example like just to take it out of the way sometimes paul will tell me things of what he's critical about with uh you know uk government stuff right but that doesn't mean he's like he hates the UK or some shit like that. And he's a, he's a UK citizen. Same thing here in America. Like, of course there's things politically that happen in, in with American government politics that were, I, I can be critical about, but that doesn't mean I hate being an American and, or I'm anti-American or something like that. And likewise with her, yes, you can be critical of Israeli government stuff, but that doesn't mean that she is attacking people's religious beliefs or their creed or something like that, you know, and same thing with, again, watching sort of what I say, because at the end of the day, I'm not the most educated person in here. The more I learn, I've been constant and I've said, I've had these conversations with Paul in private about stuff, 
the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know as much as I would like to know. So it's just a constant learning game of going like, damn, I, there's so much more I don't know. There's so much more I don't know. And when you think about what she was saying with saying she is like pro-Palestine, she's not saying she's pro-Hamas and their actions, though. What she was going after it was the fact that a lot of people in Palestine are, are children and you're seeing what's happening with them. And the part that really just rubbed me the wrong way, and I think what's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and what you initially brought up was like Spyglass saying like they don't condone they don't condone anti-Semitism and um, false things about genocide and whatever. When I'm like, well, no, she's not. She's not saying she's she's not she hasn't said anything anti-Semitic, and I I know that some people can be very if if they if they're really involved in the conversation and and they can feel like sensitive towards things and I understand we can have our interpretations on the receiving end of stuff. However, when you really break down what she's saying, I I personally do not believe what she was saying was anti-Semitic. My personal belief, just from reading it. I did not think it was anti-Semitic from talking with other people who are more well-informed than I am and who can get very emotional getting involved in the conversations about these things. I, I, I just don't think that she, I think what's unfair about it too is how she, she was like, go when we are like, what was getting brought up a lot was people like Amy Schumer and Noah Schnapp who had the complete antithesis side of what they were saying, a completely opposing point of view. And the main thing that Melissa Barrera, which I think first garnered her a lot of attention for this, was she was actually criticizing Western media for, I think I think what she was coming down to is Western media censoring what is happening in Palestine and not giving enough coverage to that. Whereas like on social media, I see a lot of that, but not, actual like television media social media i see a lot about the palestine side but not television and that's where i think she was really being critical of and i think she was trying to yeah. shine a light more on that uh, than anything else so i think i just don't think she should have been fired for it personally i feel like a conversation could have been had and maybe there was and yeah. we don't know about one um but again, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to summarize everything all at once. I don't know if that was really clear. At the same time, like I said, I'm not the it's most... It's difficult to talk yeah. about. And yeah, I think I genuinely do think that you came out respectfully. And that's how I'm trying to do it as well. Uh, it, yeah, it just breaks my heart when I see this stuff happening. Um, and it, it just some of the videos and, and that it really has told me up. Um, I'll try and keep things, you know, centralized because we're, we're trying to do a, a movie podcast. But... There has, I think Hollywood's issue in general over the last couple of years is that they've waded far too far into politics. Um, COVID was another thing where they got way too involved in yeah. that. Um, the elections they always get involved in, the Ukrainian-Russian war, which has kind of just been brushed under the rug now. That's like, it's still going on and it's just been completely out of the, the media cycle and obviously what, what's going on now. And they they do uh, then they clearly pick a side as well they clearly clearly pick a side and i think it's it's always going to divide the audience because you know it, it, it's very much it's right and left is very much 50-50 you know that they the, the have maybe one gets the majority but it's never to the point where it's like 60-40 it's always normally if one has the majority it's like 52% or something and i've seen so many 
politicians even being fired for calling for a ceasefire. And I think, you know, Hollywood needs to just remember that they're here to entertain and not way too far into this stuff. And that if they do, it's going to cost them in, in some ways because they're going to alienate people who support certain causes. But yeah, as they've benefited off aligning themselves with identity politics and personal beliefs. So if they market a movie or their product with something that you identify as or see yourself as, you're going to associate that product or brand with your personal self. And that's why they do it. It's because they believe that if people have a personal attachment to something, they're going to be more likely to buy into it and more likely to support it. And they have started doing this, but it's also going to, it's also getting to the point now where they're dealing with really serious issues. And I know even us just talking about it on the podcast is going to alienate some people. Um, which unfortunately it's the way that the world is and we are covering these stories. Um, but it just hasn't, it's not scream seven is going to do really, really going to have to like, They've got an uphill battle yeah. trying to sort this stuff out now, um, and they've actually returned to Patrick Dempsey and Neve Campbell and asked for them to to re- to return to the franchise. And this is all coming off the back of what happened with Neve Campbell earlier in the year, where she said she asked for a certain price to be paid. They said she's not worth that. She is the face of that franchise, and that disrespect is incredible. I kind of likened it to. I hope she's like David Brent in the office when he gets fired and. You, you see him out on the road and he's in the hotel and he's going, how much you got? Because it's going to cost you. And I hope she's like that. Um, but they've really shut themselves in the foot with this and it's just caused, it's caused a, a complete crisis and unfortunately Hollywood have waded far too far into this stuff now where they're firing people for having what are basically opinions and, you know, they, they can yeah. lambast them and say they're calling for the for genocide and stuff and downplaying it. But if you really read into it, I think anyone with any common sense who, you know, might not be invested in a certain side, who's just coming down the middle of it, they'll see that. And I I just don't think it was the right way to handle it. And I think the optics on it have been absolutely terrible. And yeah, it's just taken them to get involved almost in the conflict themselves to the point where, you know, that they're not, they're, they're clearly supporting a side. They're clearly supporting a side. And I just don't feel like it's it's what they should be doing and how they should be positioning themselves because it's such a complex conflict that's been going on for decades. You know, we obviously have our own certain views on it that we're going to keep out of the podcast. Like, but yeah. I, I think you know that the it's way more nuanced, and for every argument you have, there's going to be a counter argument, and it's just when it's when it's life and death, and you're talking about making scream movies. Yeah, it's just, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, and maybe there were enough people, because, you know, the, uh, there are people who did, um, on the receiving end, uh, whether Jewish or not Jewish, who who did find their interpretation of, I think there was one specific post that went out where the interpretation was like, oh, this this is anti-Semitic to me, like the way that it was interpreted uh, that way. And again, like, I'm just here saying, well, um, my like what I saw, it, it didn't register that way to me. So maybe for those who felt that way, because it's this is such a sensitive subject of what she's talking about, of, of what we're talking about. We're we're trying to treat this with as much sensitivity as possible, because you know, decades of of something that has been really taking the spotlight lately. Um, you can't just summarize it and we're not gonna we're not having an ongoing conversation with people in the comments about it right now where they can respond to us and then we're like well actually let me elaborate here or something let's talk about our different point of views we're not doing that right now uh and i 
I do. That's why I'm saying, like, I think a, a conversation could. It doesn't. It just didn't seem to me like Spyglass had a conversation with her about, hey, should we, we, I want to talk to you about what you meant by these posts. Or that's what should be. Is, is there some middle ground here where we can be like, do you mind? Do you, do you mind like maybe not? <laughs> this is where I get the subject gets even trickier because I understand free speech sort of debate. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like, think they should have just fired her. No, oh, no, she literally posted it and was fired within a couple of hours. And I think that's so drastic. It's not even really get you know giving her the chance to. And and sure, she done she done a number of posts, but I don't know. I, I think you have to kind of approach your employees almost as if everything's kind of not a black and white issue, and at least allow them to explain themselves. And yeah, yeah. I mean, and free speech is is. Um protecting you against like uh government punishment you know like like she's not gonna she could say whatever she wants so like spyglass they, they are within their right to fire her they they are yeah, true true um, true and, and like melissa barrera is not gonna you know go to prison for anything she's saying or go to go to trial or anything like that you know what i mean so like she it's it's nothing against her free speech uh it, it is but the conversation does get bigger when you do think about, well, there's other people who are celebrities and faces of properties and stuff who, who will put out a completely different opinion than her. And there's, doesn't seem to be repercussions for them. And it, it does start to open up that ground of what about isms and also what is fair, uh, and, and all this stuff. And to me, this just doesn't seem, I feel like the nuance got lost. And if anything, what Spyglass has done, <laughs> which is kind of like the ironic part, is because I didn't know about anything Melissa Barrera was saying until she got fired, right? And then it did become a deep dive on, like there have been people who have been posting like countless things. There's one thread in particular, according to like everything she's been posting. And then like I just deep dove through all of it. And the ironic part about what Spyglass has done is by firing her, they have given more attention to what Melissa Barrera has w wanted to be out there even more so. <laughs> like, wait, why was she fired? And for people who probably aren't even involved in the conversation of what goes on in Israel and Palestine, now they're getting more of that perspective and point of view and hearing more of the people supporting uh, Melissa Barrera's point of views as well. So if anything, they've in a strange way, like it's, they've harmed her career because this is something where as a, as a, as a non-white actress, it's already hard enough to get work. And now she has, and she, while she is a great act, like I didn't really love her in scream five, but I thought she was amazing in scream six. Uh, it, this, this, this can make it harder for her to get work naturally. And at the same time, when it comes to her political messaging, she's she just gotten out more attention for it. And so in a weird, ironic way, now the message is out there even louder than before. Uh, yeah, the, definitely. Sense definitely. of irony to it. Sense of irony. Yeah, I mean, and that that's the issue that you run when you, you wade into politics. You kind of, you know, you, you get pulled to a certain side and that's it. You know, they've aligned themselves with the opposite to what she's saying so that they're pretty much stuck in that position and you know you don't the thing is it's an unfolding situation as well and we don't know what's coming around the corner and that's why I, I do feel like it's best for a lot of people to just almost you know 
Like there, there was a great tweet I seen once that was basically saying all social media is like that Dave Chappelle skit where they go to Jaw Rule on nine eleven to ask his opinion. Except everyone on social media is Jaw Rule. Like you don't have to give your opinion on all this stuff, mate. And yeah, you like you can totally. It's totally fine to stay silent if you you're still unsure about things. And I think wading into these politics is kind of always going to cause issues. But on to some more positive news, Greg. Um, I've missed out. I'm wearing the t-shirt I wore on another episode, but I forgot to shout them out. But this is Adopt My Block. It's a charity on the streets of San Jose that basically my my mate Dan, he run it. And I give him some, uh, I just donated to it because he was running it. I donated a couple of times. Um, But what they do is just take dogs off the street, care for them, find them homes. It's a brilliant charity. Adopt My Block. Um, yeah, so I donated to them, didn't expect anything back, but he was like, oh, I'll send you out some stuff. So he sent me a t-shirt and a hoodie. And I was like, I'll wear that on the podcast, give you the shout out. But uh, I forgot to shout them out that time, Greg, because we were so deep in the news. So I'm making up for the, yeah. this time, guys. Um, so yeah, adopt my block, make sure you check them out. You know, they do great things for dogs. Just dogs are the best. They look after them. Um, so yeah, lovely, lovely little charity. And onto some lovely legacy casting, Greg, Superman Legacy. I don't know if you've seen the photos of David current sweat floating around, but the man is looking jacked. He literally, he literally looks like Henry Cavill with a beard. Um, but yeah, the the full cast of James Gunn's Superman Legacy is starting to build up. You've obviously got David current sweat as Superman, Rachel Brosnahan as Lois Lane, and just announced Nicholas Holt as Lex Luthor. Yep. Lex Luthor. I'm actually, I was a bit kind of funny on this when I first seen it, the first five minutes, but then I thought about it. I thought, who's my favorite Lex Luthor? It's bloody Michael Rosenbaum. And he's sort of, yeah, he can sort of be in the same vein as that. I think casting him as the same age. Interestingly, Nicholas Holt actually went into audition for Superman. He auditioned for Batman, you know, he auditioned for Superman. Didn't get either of them, but he's got this. And I actually think, you know, it's quite a good, mirror take on it you know having someone who could play not only superman but also lex luther and i think what they can really do well is have the ego thing with this which is where basically lex luther has built himself to perfection he's a genius he's a multi-billionaire he's got these massive businesses he sees himself as someone who should be lauded in the same way as superman and if they even haven't you know, they have him, someone who could have played Superman, but all he, he just doesn't have those superhuman abilities. And that chip in his ego is just what drives him insane. Yeah. I think it's, I do think it's quite good casting what they've done. Oh, if absolutely. they go that route, they might just have him doing fart jokes because it's a James, you know, like, <laughs> like James Gumbert. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I think, I think um, Nicholas Holt absolutely deserves a a huge film where his face can be seen. And he's a very talented actor, man. I mean, he was, you, you, if you kind of look at his filmography of like, what has he done recently? Uh, he, he, he like, I know uh, he's in field, but he was also in like the menu. Um, of course we know him as beast, uh, in the, uh, prequel X-Men series. He's been in Mad Max. The guy can do a, he, he played token. <laughs> the guy can do like a, variety of genre very well eloquently he's got a handle on uh on any kind of genre you you throw the guy into he can pretty much do and uh, i think just even when you look at the the cross between 
sort of what he's like in the. I mean, he, he, but he, he's displayed. It's like part of Lex Luthor is he's he's such a just one aspect of his many. He is he's a genius, and and he's also very rich, and he's got that elegance about him, right? So if you can have that level of rich, elegant genius, just looking at his work in just some of those movies that I listed off right there, you can see sort of an amalgamation of all that. And he's also villainous. So uh, and he's and he's done that, you know, even in menu and stuff. So he can do all these types of characters. And I think with the wide variety of work, because most of the public kind of knows him from just a few roles. Uh, but if you do look through the guys like IMDb, at least, and you see what lead characters he's done, and even if you go to like his Rotten Tomatoes, I'm sure a lot of those movies or sh- and shows have really good uh, critical and audience reception that people have been drawn to his work. The, there's something about Nicholas Holt where I wouldn't have thought of him to be the guy cast for it. But when I yeah. when I heard it, I was like, oh, no, that. That does make a lot of sense when you think about everything the guy has done. It seems like a no brainer, <laughs> like he could definitely pull it off. And uh, I'm excited for it, man. I think he absolutely deserves uh, to have a big role like this. I think I think he's going to be good. I think he can kind of switch between being pleasant and happy, but also commanding as well. I think it, it's a really interesting take to have Superman sort of go up against his mirror and have that embodied in Lex Luthor. Now, we've also had some other casting in that Anya Taylor-Joy is apparently going to be playing a a Herald of Galactus in the upcoming Fantastic Four film. This isn't confirmed. Been lots of more Fantastic Four casting news to hit you with. It's a different actor every week. It's playing musical chairs with them. Um, But there were rumors that Silver Surfer was going to be Silver Surfer and it was going to be a woman. So now people have heard that, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy is playing one of his heralds most famous Galactus Herald is, of course, Silver Surfer. So people put the two together and assume that it's going to be her. Greg, how are you feeling about this? I'll, I'll tell you how I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit, um, and I'll tell you why. It's not because I hate women. I promise you guys, it's not because I hate women. Just wait. I'm two sides of it, man. And I'm not trying to play both sides here. Uh, I'm just naturally. You can see things from both sides, guys. I'm naturally two sides. One part of me is like, I don't really give a shit if it's if Silver Surfer's a female. The other side of it is, why make Silver Surfer a female exactly? Because it just seems like it'll provoke people. Uh, like, what would be the mm. purpose of of doing? I can't. I, I don't see like a strong story choice for making Silver Surfer a woman. At the same time, I don't really care if Silver Surfer's a woman. Like, I'm not going to be part of that camp that's really upset uh, about it. Like, I, I sort of as- associate Silver Surfer as, like, like a cool dude in silver with no genitals <laughs> just riding around on a surfboard. And it's kind of a stoic personality, you know. And, and like, they they gender-swapped uh, Ancient One. And uh, I think Tilda Swinton absolutely knocked it out of the park. Uh, but I... I was kind of at the same mindset. I was like, I don't really care. And then I think, but I, but the thing is ancient one is nowhere near as famous of an iconography, you know, famous imagery. Like even if you don't know silver surfer in comics or whatever, I'm yeah. pretty confident you've seen silver surfer. <laughs> like everyone has probably seen some image of silver surfer. So they know silver surfer. Uh, it, it just seems like to me that I can't, I don't, I don't know what the, 
And maybe they have something up their sleeve other than we just wanted to make Silver Surfer a woman. I'm, I'm of two minds. One part of me is like, I don't really care. The other part of me is like going, well, are they going to give me a reason to care of why Silver Surfer's a, a woman? So when I say I'm, a, I'm on two sides of it, I'm basically going, my personal feeling at first is I'm not that affected by it. That my other feeling is going, but but why? Why, why would they do that like i do become puzzled by the the idea of making silver surfer a woman because it it seems like if you're going to finally bring silver surfer into the mcu why not just do what we all know silver surfer to be <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh yeah that's just kind of where i'm at about it is like I don't, I don't really see what the justification would be other than we we just wanted to change up the gender just because you know and i think it sounds like you don't want to see women playing silver surfer greg by the sounds of it i'll tell you why i'm not that comp well well i'm not it, it's just what marvel have done with villains recently go the god butcher they had christian bale in the role i thought oh my god this has the mm. potential to be one of the best movie movie villains of all time completely messed it up um, look what they've done to kang guys sort of a joke now darben wasn't really a big Darben fan, I'm going to be honest with you, but just the way they handle villains, in all honesty, I think Marvel have kind of almost went back to that phase one and two villain sort of thing that they had where they just, they, they got big actors, like Christian Bell to me, that they got such a big actor in, fumbled the ball with it, didn't do the villain right, and I, sure. I just worry that they're going to get, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy is going to become another villain that gets wasted in what is, you know, an iconic role and should be something massive. Um, and I think you know. I think I do well, think Silver Surfer remain a villain, though. No, I think Silver Surfer is someone who would stick around, so they do have more leeway yeah. there. But I think they'd really have to just. I, I just hope Marvel realize that they they're messing stuff up with the villains in these films and, and that Christian Bale stuff, mate. That should have been the last straw. You had Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher. That should have been. That should have been the next level thing, but they didn't do it. They messed it up and just in. There's even talks of Mads Mikkelsen being brought back, um, but playing Doctor Doom, and I was like, "What do they mean brought back?" And they're like, "Yeah, he was a villain, Doctor Strange." I was like, "Oh crap, he was." If anyone finds out I didn't know that, I'm, my channel's going to get defunct, uh, like completely defunded and taken down. But yeah, I forgot for a second because that's how unmemorable that they hit that character was and what they did with him, and they completely going. They completely, you know, wasted that. Um, I think Loki and Thanos and Vulture, I would say, those are like the three villains where I'd say they really handled those guys well. Oh, Killmonger, homie. Killmonger. Yeah, Killmonger. um, The High Evolutionary I really liked as well. Uh, Yeah, but they can often fumble the ball and seeing. I just don't want to see another good actor wasted in this part. Um, and we've actually just had some breaking news come in, Greg. Breaking, breaking, exclusive, exclusive. Um, so Michael Waldron is now going to be writing both Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Yeah. And um, that's been officially announced by Deadline. Yeah. So Jeff Loveness is, oh, we've heard for ages that he's been fired. Um, but yeah, kind of, you know, the other week I was a bit worried that Kang was going to get replaced. Um, we were thinking he should just be recast. Sounds like they're just, they're going all in on Kang. And uh, I hope they start really doing some stuff with it. Um, so yeah, he's, Michael Waldron obviously worked on Loki. He did Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, which I like. Um, I know a lot of people don't. But yeah, um, excited to see what he does with it. 
yeah, I think uh, I think we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not that excited. <laughs> I don't know why it's not really doing anything for me. <laughs> I can feel like my yeah, Kawhi, I think the risk. I'm just so like this Avengers th- King Dynasty news has been so up and down. Yeah, like you yeah, can- I think the risk with having him do write two films as well is that if one sucks, you've still got to go ahead with the second one. Yeah. And it's like, oh crap. I mean, I mean, we heard of all this ch- this change is going on with Multiverse of Madness, and it sounds like they just rewrote the script so many times. I think Elizabeth Olsen was just she stopped reading them because they were getting so many different ones. And um, so hopefully they keep him on track. But uh, yeah, speaking of keeping on track, we've had Dave Filoni now officially promoted to become the chief creative officer of Lucasfilm. So he's going to be working directly with Kathleen Kennedy to oversee all Star Wars projects going forward. Now, he's pretty much in the Kevin Feige role of Star Wars. I think it's well-deserved. I think that in his hands, Star Wars is in the best hands possible. I know not everyone likes everything that he does, but I would say on the whole, he respects the brand. He worked closely with George Lucas. I don't feel like he's trying to ruin things and just... Yeah, I feel I feel genuinely that he is probably the best person for the job, and I think that Star Wars is in a good place with him leading it. Yeah, man, like Star Wars especially, they need someone who. The thing about any intellectual property thing, and and Star Wars now, is you can't. It's not just about keeping your current fans happy. It's also about you know being able to gather new fans. And you need, but now Star Wars is also in the position where they have to consistently, seemingly redeem themselves with people who have given up on Star Wars. You know, people who were big Star Wars fans who hate what Star Wars has become under the Disney rulership. And you, and I think one thing about Filoni is like, well, I can sometimes be there too and be like, eh, sometimes his scripts are a little bit wonky in their dialogue or whatever. It's Star Wars. The overall, the mythology and the the, the way he embraces uh, the building out and expansion of the world and the overall exploration and just understanding of the characters, I feel like is the most in sync with George Lucas for very obvious reasons. And I think the key to having to being able to help attract new fans and helps and and make current fans happy and at the same time rebound with some fans who have been really upset with Disney Star Wars, I do think Filoni is ultimately your best bet in being able to do all three. Uh, the new fans yeah. one is actually kind of the hardest one for me <laughs> with Filoni because so all, a lot of times the in the camp that he works in, it, like like Ahsoka is actually a, a perfect example of that. Of a lot of people being like, "Oh man, I I was kind of like felt a little bit left out because there's so much lore and mythology from all this other shit that I do not I don't know about." So I had a there's some stuff I just couldn't keep up with. MCU problem. Yeah, yeah, and so that will be the thing with Filoni where I think he would need to see how he can redirect a little bit where people don't feel that way. Because while there have been a lot of people who did not see Rebels and Clone Wars who were still able to really enjoy Ahsoka, uh, there were definitely still some people, a good amount, I would say, that 
that fell off after the first couple of episodes because they couldn't they were like i don't know who these people are or why i should care you know and 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 a lot of that care came back to well if you saw rebels you would care you know and it, and and i think that's where he has to really kind of com- like combat with himself a little bit is making sure he can still attract a new audience and not just keep the Clone Wars and Rebels fans happy. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, he does kind of lean into his own stuff quite a lot. Um, and, you know, will that be a good move? I I, I feel like, yeah, I do feel like Filoni, because I, I feel with Filoni, though, he's got a good understanding of the prequels and why fans like them yeah. and a good understanding of the original trilogy. He's not. Re- he's also not really roped into the sequels either. Like he's not. You don't think of Dave Filoni and think of the sequels. You think of the earlier, like Clone Wars and Rebels and and stuff like that, yeah. and Mandalorian and and things that people are more favorite towards. You know, like Ahsoka. As much, I don't really feel like there's any. You know that there are some people who don't like it on the internet. Um, but I don't feel like it's it's a hated property. You know what I mean? I don't feel like there's that anger that there is towards right, like right. The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And he's not really connected to that stuff either. So I feel like it's it's a positive move. I do want to see Star Wars do well. And I would love it if we just had a, a Star Wars project come out that was universally loved. And there was no... Will, will it ever happen? I, I doubt it. But I just kicked my camera out. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So will it ever happen? I really don't know. Um, but they'll probably show me. I've got a letter there with my address, and I'll probably just dox myself. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. But Dave Filoni, I'm rooting for you, guy. You've done a lot of good work. You know, you haven't. You've done like he's like a lot of people when you put out that much content. He's done a couple of bad things here and there, but I would say on the whole, you know, 95 percent of the time, maybe even higher, the guy makes good stories, and at worst, he makes mid. And I would say there's very few mid stories, but I, a hell of a lot of good ones. I love the way he directs, though. You know, like uh, his yeah. episode of Mandalorian and the ones he directed in Ahsoka. I think he's a phenomenal director. Uh, like sometimes I feel like his directing is better than his his actual execution. I always think his outlines are great. Like like the whatever the the whatever he, he wants to tell is great. Um, it, it's just sometimes I can be a, a little bit in conflict with overall execution. But I think his voice in the writing sings the most when he's actually directing it as well, where you just get the full Filoni vision. So I I really like the way he directs, and I'm excited yeah. for his movie. And it's, what I liked about Ahsoka the most out of anything in it is that it took Star Wars into a new direction that it hasn't gone since the prequels. Yeah. I really feel like a lot of the Disney stuff was kind of just trying to cash in on nostalgia. You know, as much as I like Andor and that character, Rogue One was very much like the Death Star plans. We kind of build a movie around that. And I love that movie, but it was very much rooted in like trying to recapture the feelings of the original trilogy. The sequel trilogy fucking hell <laughs> solo you know what i mean it was they were all kind of banking on that but the fact that dave filoni took us to a new universe sure he brought back throne but you know he, he's someone who's kind of not necessarily had the exposure that the other people had and he came from the expanded law and yeah the night sisters and, and stuff like that he can i know they were in the clone wars and fallen order and stuff like that but it felt like he was really evolving star wars from beyond what it's been in the past and giving totally. us new things and a new direction instead of just being like let's cash in on everything that's come before and just 
do do the same story 75 different times or if we don't do it we'll do it for a bit and then completely ruin everything and try and subvert expectations yeah very excited to see what he does with it i'm hopeful that he's going to bring star wars back i'm hopeful marvel can return michael waldron we'll see we'll see greg hates silver surfer i hate women per usual (laughs) Mm. i'm gonna clip that out of context and just put it in there but i can say that i I don't hate women, Greg, because I watched Barbie this this week. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? You conquered. I'm not one of those men who refuse to watch Barbie. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you, guys. Um, and thank you for all your support again. I know there's ladies out there who watch this. We love you just as much as the guys. Might even love you a little bit more, if you know what I'm saying. Um, But don't tell the guys we said that because they'll burn down the entire channel and say we've gone woke. But it's good having you guys, as always. I hope you don't mind us taking the week out. We probably took too long of a break, and now no one cares about our opinions. Um. Yeah, we'll try try have a good good conversation there, Greg. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Have you got any final words? Where the hell are you going? Get back in your chair, you son of a bitch. I need to run to the door. Close this out, Paul. Okay. Okay, guys. Well, Greg's got to run to the door. The hitman has finally arrived. He's knocking on that. And yeah, I'll see you guys next week across the Spoilerverse. We're on all good podcast services: Spotify, Amazon, Apple. You want it on YouTube? We've got that as well. Love you guys. Missed you the last week. You are the best. Take care.